Thanks for listening to Pod of Jake. I'm Jake. You can reach me anytime by emailing jake at blogofjake.com. I'm fortunate to have some sponsors supporting the show whose products I genuinely love and recommend. I'll start with a word on those so the rest of the episode will have no interruptions. I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Levels. Levels uses continuous glucose monitoring to track your blood sugar in real time. It allows me to see the impact that everything I do has on my metabolic health so that I can optimize my diet and exercise accordingly. Wearing the Levels patch, I feel like I'm living in the future. There's this moment when you raise your phone to the back of your arm, it vibrates and shows your glucose level right on the screen. It's this instantaneous look inside yourself, an in-the-moment snapshot of what's going on inside your body. And while it's only showing one simple measurement for now, it's enough for me to see the future. And that's exciting. It's exciting because I believe that we can live meaningfully longer and healthier lives than we do today. And I believe technologies like Levels will help us to get there. Levels is currently running an exclusive beta program with a wait list of over 100,000 people, but you can skip the line and join Levels today by using my link in the show notes, levels.link slash jake. Again, that's levels.link slash jake. This episode is brought to you by Aura. That's O-U-R-A. The Aura ring, from my perspective, is the single best wearable on the market. I use it to measure my sleep, activity, and readiness on a daily basis. I bought my Aura ring several months ago before talking with the company's CEO on the podcast. I haven't taken it off since. I believe what gets measured gets managed. So if you care at all about your health, which you should, you have to measure your sleep in order to manage it. Aura measures much more than just my time in bed. It tracks my REM sleep versus deep sleep, my resting heart rate and heart rate variability, my temperature, my activity, and much, much more. For $299, you can get your own Aura Ring on AuraRing.com. That's O-U-R-A-R-I-N-G.com. AuraRing.com. Okay, let's get into it. Thank you, Luke, for taking the time and joining me on the podcast today. I appreciate you. Uh, coming on you you are uh, you know leading a, a pretty interesting brand called high key which you're doing a bunch of stuff under um would love to talk about you know all that and and i'm sure we will uh but before we get started you know a, a lot of people you know may not know you or, or what you're doing so i think the best way to get started would be um if you could just sort of share your story and as i said you know everyone uh i i like to hear people's stories from as early as they're willing to start to uh where they are today and, and some of the decisions they made along the way. So the long version is the good one. And uh, I'll let you start there. For sure, man. Thanks for having me on Jake today. And I will give the long version today, even though I've never given it on, on a podcast, but hell, I'll go all the way back to uh, grade two, uh, grade two in school, man, is where, when I like first, I didn't recognize any like entrepreneurial stuff until like looking retrospect, but what I was doing in grade two is I was like getting my mom to purchase like Pokemon cards for us, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, all these like decks of cards. And like, we were like collecting all these cards. I was doing research on like what cards were like, this was like through like grade two to grade four, I was doing like research on like, what were, what was the most valuable cards asking my friends who was the, who were the most into cards, like what were like the best like cards and most rare cards. And that was literally like selling and trading them at school to people and like making profit. 
And like my brother was the one like managing it all. And I was the one going to school and like actually selling it. And so we had like a really small business going on with that. Really funny. And I never really thought back about, about that until, until a couple of years ago when I was like really trucking through business and, and looking in retrospective where I first started in like the entrepreneurial journey. I guess that was it. And then it led into, into high school. Uh, grade eight, grade nine, grade 10, where I started selling, buying bikes, buying TVs and reselling them. It was mainly for the, for the basis of not necessarily liking to do that, but just wanting to make some money on the side and me not being able to work at the time, because in Canada, it's really hard to work under the age of 16. Cause you have to get like a ton of permits, acceptance from your parents. And then also like employers aren't wanting to hire people under the age of 16 for like liability purposes. And so I was just trying to make bank because like, dude, in school, in like elementary school, in middle school, you have so much extra time on your hands if you like recognize it. And that's what I was doing. And so I was like reselling stuff. I was making like $100 here, $100 there. And it was really cool. And then it got to the point of my older brother, Jordan, being in university and myself being in high school and I was in grade 10 and my brother was in first year of university and we started up a YouTube channel together because at the time we watched a ton of gaming YouTube channels and so we were like yo we're, we're pretty funny we're pretty entertaining like I feel like we could I feel like we could do some crazy like YouTube challenges and like basically record ourselves playing video games because we were like pretty good at video games and so we bought all the equipment bought like cameras and everything and started started this youtube channel up while i was in high school and it, like looking back on it we deleted all the videos since then i wish we hadn't just for like <laughs> just for like documenting purposes but they were the most cringy videos ever i was horrible on camera uh we, we weren't doing like that funny stuff and practically our entire audience was just the people who were in our, in our school at the time and who were friends with us and we, we did that and stuck to it for for eight months uh filming like us playing these video games uh doing the challenges and then posting them like two to three times per week and so it was an unbelievable amount of work and after the eight months the only thing that we had to show for it was a ton of youtube videos on our channel and about 125 subscribers and so it, it wasn't the it wasn't the most heartwarming feeling that uh we just spent eight months on something that was like completely trashed afterwards where like it gave us like no audience exposure gave us no way to make money and so it wasn't the it wasn't the nicest way to start in like the <laughs> into the influencer uh into the influencer and content creation world but what later happened was, and looking, looking back on that experience is that we utilized every single thing that we did on that YouTube channel in our current businesses uh, in, in the beginning stages. And I'll, I'll get into that later, but that's a key point is that looking back on everything that you did in the past to get to where you are today, you've utilized, most people utilize a lot of the stuff that was like the foundational things that they did to get to that point, even, even though they didn't realize it. And it usually comes in like those major points of like failure. And mm -hmm. so, so after the YouTube channel, we, we scrapped that after eight months and we were just constantly brainstorming ideas 
of how we could make money and how we could start a business. And a cool thing that we did is myself, my older brother, and then my older brother's best friend is we had these brainstorming walks. And so like every second day we would go and get like a tea or like sometimes a coffee at like, at like 10 PM, 11 PM and go on a really long walk and just be brainstorming constantly of ideas of how we can make money, how we could start up new things. And this one day, my, my older brother's friend came up to us and they were like, yo guys, I just heard of this crazy concept. It's unbelievable. We're going to want to do a ton of research on it. It's called drop shipping. And this was back in 2000, uh, 2016. And so there wasn't that much information or that much stuff out about drop shipping. It was like right on the curve of where it was start being a lot of traction. And so about three days later, we all got together, we sat down at a table and the entire day, we just did a ton of research on drop shipping. And after that day, we were like, this is it. This is 100% what we're going to do. Drop shipping is, is the next move. Like we, we can, we can get on this. And we realized that once, once this was the decision of like what we were going to do as like a side hustle, all we had to do was find a product. And so the next thing we were doing is going on these walks, brainstorming product ideas, like which product would be best to sell. And so uh, again, my one buddy uh, thought of the idea of wireless earbuds because all of us worked out at the time. And the most annoying thing was being at the gym, working out and having your cord earbuds ripped out of your ear. And so back in 2016, there was no such thing as like Apple AirPods, Galaxy Gear Icon, none of those wireless earbuds. And so we searched on Alibaba, which is a drop shipping website where you can, where you can either bulk produce or uh, just white label products and uh, bulk produce them for, for basically drop shipping. And so what we did is we, we bulk produced a hundred of these wireless earbuds and, and then we, we slapped our logo on it for high key. And then we had to find a way to sell them. And so we started testing out new techniques on like Instagram. We created an Instagram profile. We started posting just meme videos with information about the wireless earbuds in the caption. And dude, somehow with these like different techniques that we were doing, like getting, getting content posts on other pages, shouting us out, like we were just trying out random things. And it somehow gained a lot of traction and turned into sales because there wasn't that much competition back then. And what we found out was it was because it was such a good winning product that we were able to sell it like practically anyway, because there were no other wireless earbuds and no competition on the market. It's not even necessarily that it was a good product. It's that it was the only product in that specific industry. And right. so, so we scaled it up due to, to seven figures while I was in high school. And so it, within, within two years, we scaled it up to seven figures of revenue. Uh, and I was on top of the world. Like I was in high school and like, I was looking at my Shopify store on my mobile site and I just felt like I had the biggest ego ever. Like, like I, I was literally able to look at my Shopify analytics and it said, it said over a million dollars of revenue, but at the end of the day, like revenue doesn't really matter. It's like what you're bringing home at the end of the day for, for the long term. It's, it's what profit you're making. And it, for this particular business, the profit was very slim because we were selling affordable wireless earbuds. And by the time the, the product got to the customer and with all the marketing expenses, we were taking home very little. And so it got to a point where we made a ton of mistakes in that, in that business because we just weren't set up to, to, to scale up a product-based business. Uh, we, made, we made mistakes like 
over over foreshadowing uh, inventory in terms of like how much inventory we needed. We didn't we didn't product market test properly, so we were ordering way too much product of a specific uh, of a new product that we we never tested if like our customers wanted it. We made tons of marketing mistakes in it. At the end of the day, we it, the mistakes accumulated to where even though we made seven figures of revenue, we were actually we actually went into debt because we started getting greedy. We overbought an inventory uh, for like the for like the holiday season, didn't sell it out, and then it turned into a whole mess. And it got very very scary very quickly. So we went from like on top of the world to like literally in debt, not knowing how we're going to sell the earbuds ton of competition in the marketplace because now Apple AirPods are out, Samsung Galaxy or iPhone, all these other wireless earbuds are out. And so now we're sitting on a ton of product that can't sell anymore. And it was really crappy place to be in. Uh, and a lot of people at that point would have quit, probably like went to school, got a job and they've been in debt for the rest of their lives. But I, I knew that I had to do whatever it took to get out of that point. And so what I see that point as is it was like the luxury of like no other, no other options because we had no other options besides to succeed. And so uh, we start brainstorming ideas again of, of what we needed to do in terms of getting us out of this hole. And what it led to was transitioning into a service-based business uh, with what we were best at. So we accumulated all the things that we were best at in our e-commerce company, which turned out to be branding, uh, social media marketing, and uh, and really making like brands famous online. And so we started delivering that as a service and things have been upheld since since creating a service-based business. And uh, that, that kind of leads to where we are today. Awesome. Well, uh, appreciate the the long story there and the you know, <laughs> comprehensive overview. It's, it's interesting. There's like a few chapters there, at least from, uh, you know, like Pokemon cards to selling TVs and bikes and then starting more of like a real, not that the other things weren't real for, you know, your age at the time and things, but like, you know, going in on drop shipping early days, uh, wireless earbuds before those were a thing, sort of hitting some turbulence despite the big sales and then realizing you needed to turn to a service-based business. So the service-based business, I'm assuming that's like what you're doing today. That's high key. That, that, that's high key. And we, now we have a, so that's high key enterprises. The e-commerce company was called high key technology as well. We've just, we've always stuck with the brand name high key. We've just transitioned what, what we do within the brand. So we transitioned from an e-commerce business to strictly doing services for other companies. Right. So let's go back to, uh, you'd mentioned, I forgot one chapter, I think in the recap was you're doing the, the YouTube videos, playing video games and things <laughs> like that. Um, I thought it was interesting, like you mentioned, you know, the the thing itself, like you didn't accumulate subscribers and eight months isn't like, you know, a, a very like it's not like a throwaway period of time, like eight months. That's a lot of hard work. And uh, you sort of committed to it, uh, at least for, you know, almost a year. Um, you resulted, like you said, with like 125 subscribers, you know, you had a bunch of videos, but you ended up deleting them anyway. So nothing like sort of tangible, but on the other hand, you had this experience and it sounds like a lot of sort of skills or just the experience itself paid dividends in the long run. And you mentioned you might like talk more about that. How has that experience, despite sort of the failure, 
sort of from an objective, like sort of tangible outcomes, you know, no subscribers, no videos, et cetera. Uh, but how has that like actually been a benefit looking back, like from, from where you are today? Dude, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because, uh, uh, I, I actually forgot that I mentioned that. And there were some key points that, that were made for that. So even though we left that YouTube channel with no subscribers and actually deleted the channel afterwards and didn't utilize that, didn't have an audience to utilize at all. The, the key things that we got from it was one, I edited all the videos from, uh, from that YouTube channel and the, the YouTube channel that we posted. I learned the YouTube algorithm and a lot of the other social media algorithms from editing that content and posting on it. And uh, we also learned, myself and my brother, learned how to be on camera and be good on camera, be able to uh, act on camera. And so those were three invaluable points that led into uh, our e-commerce company and what we're currently doing today. So to give you an example, how the video editing came into play is that uh, when we started up the e-commerce company, we didn't have any money to hire other people and we needed to create a ton of video content to promo the products. And so I was the one editing all of the content that uh, was going up. And I, I was editing content for two and a half years uh, and constantly improving on that. And then how that led into our agency is I had all of the talents of video editing and I understood video editing, content design. I understood Adobe Photoshop, Adobe Premiere, like the back of my hand. And so uh, when I started hiring people for our agency to do it for our other clients, I knew exactly what to hire for and how to manage it because you only can manage things thoroughly, what you've done yourself and what you know needs to be, what, what you know is like capable of like somebody doing and like how much time it takes, everything that goes into that so you can, you can manage them properly. And so that's one thing. The other thing was us being good on camera. Uh, so with the e-commerce company, we were promoting the product with us being uh, on camera and like, uh, promoting the product. And so it, it came in massive handy that we weren't start, starting from like ground zero of like being on camera because it, dude, even being on podcasts, like it, it, it's, it can be hard. It can be challenging. It can be like nerve wracking to be on a podcast. And then the next step up is like, is like filming yourself with it and like filming content around like uh, who you are and putting that out there to the world. It's a, it, it's a, it can be a nerve wracking thing to people. And uh, it, it definitely didn't come naturally to us. And it was, it was just from experience of like hundreds and hundreds of hours put in filming. Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, I haven't done much of the, uh, or really any of the video stuff, but, uh, just being on audio alone and knowing that even if it's not a huge number of people, like people are going to be out there listening, like when you're not even thinking about it anymore, it's, it's kind of, uh, it definitely takes some getting used to it. I've certainly heard from people as well who just don't even like the sound of their own voice. That's like an excuse that I hear a lot of times for why people won't start a podcast or something like that. And uh, I'm sure, you know, there, there's plenty more people than that who wouldn't like to see themselves on camera. Um, so it's certainly a skill that needs to be developed. And uh, you've used it, you know, to not only help with the agency and it sounds like the business as well, but um, you, you've sort of developed your own personal brand uh, sort of in parallel to high key, you've got like a million followers on Instagram, a bunch on other platforms as well. Um, how did you sort of like start to build your own personal brand and um, separately you, you work with people who 
you know, they're not really people who just like built their personal brand from scratch so much as they are like sort of famous rappers or athletes, just big time influencers. Um, and maybe have you learned sort of from watching those people as well, when it comes to your own personal brand, I'm curious, like how that interaction's been and not to overload you with, with questions, but, um, <laughs> like how you actually got into sort of getting in touch with some of these people and starting to do business with some of these big influencers as well would be interesting to hear about. For, for sure. So, uh, w when we started our agency, um, our, when we transitioned from our e-commerce company to our agency, uh, we didn't have any personal branding at all. And so we literally had like, I had like a thousand followers. Uh, my brother had like 2000 followers. We didn't make any posts. And so what we found is there was a huge discrepancy between what we were selling to our clients and like what we had for ourselves, even though we had a company page that had 300,000 followers on it and uh, some really good content, consistent posting. We were selling mainly to personal brands uh, for like content management growth. And a question, like a major rebuttal that we, we were getting on sales calls is uh, if, if you believe in your service so much, uh, why don't you do it for yourself? And that's something that I've lived by ever since then is that we don't sell or do or produce or do any service that we haven't done and tested on ourselves first. And so from that point forward, we literally every single service we just did for ourselves. And so, for example, we start with social media management and we we start doing social media management ourselves with like creating video content, posting it on our personal brand. And then we transitioned into doing a lot of press and publications and we tested all press and publications and press outreach for ourselves before doing it for any of our clients. And then we transitioned into the space of like, again, another, another complaint that we were getting from clients is guys, I, I have uh, all this amazing content, but nobody's seeing my content. Nobody, I'm not, I'm not growing necessarily on social media. And we, we create a couple of excuses before saying that, oh, it's because of the social media algorithms. It's really hard to, to build an audience now on social media. Uh, it's really hard to like get picked up in the feed, but you are being seen by the people who are currently following you. They're like, but I want more people to follow us. And so we created the service of giveaways where we did, where we started off with like some smaller giveaways, but we did giveaways to incentivize people to follow our clients. And then it led into bigger giveaway campaigns where we were able to partner up with the influencers and partner up with celebrities. And those celebrities promote a list of giveaway sponsors where all those giveaway sponsors are gaining followers by people entering the giveaway. Mm. And so that kind of led us into the realm of like the celebrity and influencer stuff where what happened was we started, uh, we started doing these giveaways like on a consistent basis because it, it, it was by far the best, the best strategy we've ever seen. It, it's, it's the only business model I've ever seen. And I, I think that will ever exist where it's a win, win, win business model. So let me explain it. So the giveaway sponsors that are sponsoring and paying, paying us to be in the giveaway, they win because they're gaining followers. The celebrity that we're working with, they're winning because we're paying them so much money to do a giveaway. So the, the celebrity is the one who's winning the most. They're double winning. They're getting money all up front, plus they're doing a giveaway. And so like they were able to like give back to their followers. 
we win because we get paid by the giveaway sponsors and we get to do we go do a giveaway and showcase a giveaway and, and get the branding of everything. And then the influencers followers win because they get a chance at winning a giveaway. And so when we really realized that, that it was like a win-win-win business model, it only made us look better. We just went all in and we started doing two giveaways a, a month and we started partnering up with every single celebrity we could, we could connect with. So today we've partnered up with people like Kevin Hart, Snoop Dogg, uh, the baby, little baby, uh, uh, so and so many others. Like we we partnered up with like over over fifty A list celebrities, and we're, we're still continuing this giveaway model. And we're probably going to be doing giveaways for the rest of our lives because again, it, it, we have it set up in a way where everybody's winning. When you think of like the the giveaways you've done, I mean, you mentioned like 50 A-listers, things like this, like you've obviously had quite a bit of success and you can go to these guys and be like, hey, look, or, or guys or girls or whatever. And you say, look, you know, this is how much we can offer you upfront. All you have to do is tweet out this giveaway or do an on Instagram, do a giveaway, whatever it is. And like the sponsor is going to come in, they're going to pay you. You get to reward your followers. It's like a win-win-win, like you said. When you think about the ones that you've done to date, like, are there any that stand out as like just total, you know, like hit on all angles. Like that was the perfect example of like why this works so well. Yeah. Yeah. The, the best giveaway to date was the one, uh, was the Kevin Hart and Rick Ross giveaway. We did a giveaway collaboration with both of them and we gave away $20,000 and we paid them a massive amount of money. I, I won't disclose exactly how much we paid, but it, it was in the multi six figures, how much we were paying them. So the celebrities were winning massive. The, the celebrity followers were winning because uh, we ended up giving away $20,000 to three of the followers. And so three random people walked away with, <laughs> with 5,000, two of them, and then another one, 10,000. And then we won because we walked away with a, a, a fair amount of money from, from that campaign and a fair amount of branding because we were able to showcase that we partnered with Kevin Hart, which led to like a ton of other opportunities in the future. And then uh, all of the giveaway sponsors that sponsored that giveaway gained over a hundred thousand followers each within a week. And so that 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 was a pretty massive campaign all around. Wow, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. I, I guess like at the end of the day for the sponsor, like the the celebrity's definitely getting a, a good deal, it sounds like, and you guys are taking a piece, which is great. And it just comes down to what the sort of price per you know, the cost per follower, I guess, for the sponsor as to like how, how much it makes sense for them. But if you're getting 100,000 followers, you know, especially if you're like a new and up and coming brand or whatever, and if it's sort of within the realm of your target audience, like, that's a real, you know, $100,000, 100,000 followers is, is nothing to, to sneeze at or anything like that. So um, makes a, a pretty compelling sort of situation, it sounds like for all parties. Um, exactly. Like you said, so I know you were running a bunch of these, uh, you might, you might be doing them on a bunch of different platforms, but I know you were doing them on BitClout. Um, that was actually how I first discovered you and, and your brothers and what you're doing with high key. Uh, I think I saw like a picture of you guys with like Rick Ross and I was like, all right, these guys are doing something, uh, interesting. And that might've been for, for one of the giveaways as well. But, um, how'd you get into BitClout in the first place or, or maybe, uh, you know, crypto before that. And, uh, obviously the platform it's, it's had some sort of volatility since at least since I got involved, which is like April last year, I guess, April 2020. 
uh, or April, 2021, rather. Um, I don't even think it exists in April, 2020. Um, but I'm curious, you know, how'd you get into crypto first and foremost, and then, uh, how'd you get into BitCloud as well? Yeah. So crypto, we actually got in really late, like, uh, comparatively to, uh, how long crypto has been around. Uh, we got in, in, in late 2019 is when we first uh, dove into crypto. And when we dove into it, we dove into it hard. We, we immediately invested about uh, 50% of our net worth into, into crypto over the period of like two months. And uh, that turned out to be a really good investment that, that we made into. And uh, we're just holding it forever just because we believe in the concept of cryptocurrency uh, j- just for, j- just for de- being decentralization in every component of uh, every major industry that exists right now. We believe that decentralization is going to take over every aspect. And right now we're really only seeing it taking over the decentralization of, uh, of the banking industry and the financial institutions with like Bitcoin and like these major players uh, it b- being easier to transact than uh, so many things in the banking industry with like uh, wire transfers and so many things that's uh, making, it, it'll make things way easier for the future. Um, but that leads into the decentralized component of uh, every industry it leads into where we are such heavy believers in social media and we spend the majority of our time on social media and all of our business is basically based off of social media and like digital presence. And so that led us into uh, finding BitCloud uh, back in back in March 2021. Uh, which is now now known as DSO for decentralized social media, and they've had they've had a bunch of like things that uh, could have been done better in terms of like launch and stuff. Like they launched it as BitCloud, and everybody everybody just saw it as like an application and like one social media application, uh, w- which was which was like really hard for them to transition out of. But now they're now they brand rebranded as DSO, which stands for decentralized social media, as like DSO being the layer one blockchain of all decentralized social media applications built on top of. And so like the, the concept and and the way it's built is just totally aligned with where we're headed in the future and like wanting to be wanting to be managing clients on decentralized social media wanting to be managing celebrities on decentralized social media wanting to be building our presence on decentralized social media and so it aligns so perfectly with where we're headed in the future that we had to invest very heavily into it and I can't like forecast of like exactly when it's going to happen in terms of the transition of like mass adoption of decentralized social media. All I know is that five, 10 years down the line, everybody will be using decentralized social media for for various reasons. Developers will be on decentralized social media because everything will be open source. So it'll be easier for innovation, easier for them to develop. Users will be on decentralized social media because they won't be, they won't have their data uh, accessed by centralized companies. They will have access to their data, and they'll be able to own ownership of the platform, and they'll be able to make investments into like creators and stuff. And creators will be on the platform because they'll be way more incentivized to to create because they'll be making way more money than any centralized social media platform today. 
Yeah, and, and in addition to all that, I mean, the w- one thing I think about a lot, uh, I, I tend to agree with your point that we're we're heading in a decentralized social media direction from from where we are now, or at least maybe maybe it's optimistic, but I hope that's the case. And one of the big reasons for me is like you saw what happened with you know Trump, and there's a bunch of you know people all the time are getting censored or just kicked off entirely of these platforms like Twitter and the rest, and uh, it's you know de- in a decentralized social media world. Um, there's more freedom in that sense. You don't have a bunch of guys in like a, you know, Twitter HQ. Twi- Twitter, uh, I have a long sort of, uh, I could go on a long rant there. I think it's <laughs> extremely positive in, in a lot of ways, but maybe very negative in, in a bunch of other ways. And it's, it's hard to sort of calibrate where exactly it nets out. But one of the negative things is that you have like, in my view, at least, you know, you have this guy who obviously is, uh, a lot of people, you know, there's there's a lot of love hate out there for Trump, but uh, and I'm not sort of coming down on either side right now. But all I'm saying is, you know, there's people on Twitter who have done, I think, a lot worse things, um, and you know, objectively worse things at least, and remain on the platform, and and he gets silenced, and it's just something doesn't feel quite right about that to me. And I think in a decentralized social media world, you have a lot more um, freedom where people can share whatever they want you can follow them or not follow them, but you can sort of rest assured that they won't get banned. And, and if they do get banned, you know, say someone builds on DSO, uh, the, you know, the protocol that we're talking about and they build an app like BitCloud, for example, maybe BitCloud ends up, uh, you know, banning or, or blocking Trump from the algorithm or whoever it might be, but you can go on the next decentralized social media app and, and they're over there and everything's fine. And it's all sort of built on the same layer one, which could be DSO or could be something else. Have you, uh, I guess, considered like granted, you know, I think you're, you're invested in the success of, of DSO, but have you considered that there could be like sort of another winner in, in a very similar, if not like the same use case, um, of, of decentralized social, are you interested in like other people who are building similar things or, or you guys are just sort of all in on, on DSO and I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating for one or the other, but uh, I'm just well, curious to know how you think. One hundred, one hundred percent. My 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 brother is a hundred percent holding on DSO with uh, Tunnel Vision. One hundred percent. And uh, where I'm at is I fully believe in the concept of decentralized social media, and we're so heavily invested into DSO in particular, uh, on the sole factor that it's the first one to really be like mainstream with it Mm -hmm. uh, for like, however you want to rate like mainstream. And it's, it's the first one that has all the capabilities that we're looking for. And we haven't seen anyone that like, it's light years ahead of any single other uh, layer one blockchain uh, coming close to it. And it's literally named DSO standing for decentralized social media, just like how DeFi is standing for decentralized finance. And so there's a lot of components to it that are very intricate uh, about DSO. Like for example, like creator coins where you're able to invest in yourself and invest into other creator coins. Uh, They just implemented DAOs to their uh, platform where you're gonna be able to create DAO coins for, for your specific profile uh, and issue them to investors in various ways. But that comes with like a, a bunch of other things. Uh, they're already 100% open source. So like literally anybody can see all the code that they have. Uh, they have literally an unbelievable 
base of very large investors to give them credibility with like people like the Winklevoss twins, uh, Coinbase Ventures, uh, a bunch of others, Sequoia, that are invested into it. And they're one of very few uh, small cap layer one blockchains that are listed on Coinbase. And that's not an easy task. And I think it's going to be a long time before we see another layer one decentralized social media blockchain listed on a large exchange like Coinbase. And so that's why I think that's set up for success. And uh, could there be another one in the future? For sure. Uh, I, I just, I just want, I, I'm a big believer of putting, especially at the age that I'm, I'm in, when I see a project like DSO pop up uh, and I'm able to take risks on it, I, I want to be able to go all in on it. Yeah, it's, that's a great perspective. And mm-hmm. uh, off the top of your head, I think, you know, that's a really strong argument for, like you said, your brother's just like tunnel vision. It's, you, you don't sound like you're tunnel vision, but you're like, you know, you have high conviction for, I think, a lot of really good reasons. And you're open-minded to the fact that something else could come along to solve the same issue that you're really like strongly aligned in and want to invest in and see happen. But for now, it seems to you that, that DSO is sort of the best option out there by a long shot. And, and I would tend to agree. I mean, for all the reasons you said, um, it's just sort of, you know, head and shoulders above anything else that exists today. And, and that doesn't mean that it'll win, but um, you know, if you put your money behind the current winner and then, something else emerges, you can always shift and, and things like that. But I think that's a, a really interesting perspective. Um, switching gears a little bit. Uh, I want to get after, you know, some of like your day to day. You've like you post stuff on on Instagram, not like super frequently, but you're all it looks like you're, you know, having a lot of fun. I think you're based in in Puerto Rico. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are based in Puerto Rico. We, we made the move uh, at the beginning of 2021. So I'm curious to hear what, uh, you know, what was behind that? Like, obviously there's like, you know, certain advantages to, to move into Puerto Rico, but you guys started in Canada, it sounds like. And, uh, you know, so long as you're leaving the country, you can go basically anywhere in the world. Obviously you got to figure out like immigration and things like that. But, um, what was sort of motivation behind the move to Puerto Rico and, and how are you liking it so far? Yeah. So, uh, we were we were born and raised in central Canada uh, called Winnipeg, Manitoba. If, uh, any of the listeners listeners have heard about that, but if anybody's heard of Winnipeg, you either don't know about it or you know about it, and your first reaction is, "Damn, that's cold." <laughs> and it, it gets like it gets like minus thirty, sometimes like minus forty there during the winters, and basically people go into straight hibernation mode for for six six to seven months there. Uh, during the winter time. And so it was a really cool place to grind and uh, just like have zero distractions with growing our business where there was no like, there was no partying, uh, like there was very few bars. I I wasn't interested in that at all. And like, you didn't even want to go outside and do anything. And so like the only thing that you were left to do is stay at home and, uh, (laughs) and just work on like a side hustle, which was kind of perfect. Uh, but then we've gone to a point where we were doing tons of traveling uh, for, for celebrity meetups and stuff. Uh, and we, we found ourselves not even really spending that much time in, uh, in Winnipeg that, that much anymore. Uh, but our home base was there and uh, it was cold and uh, we realized we could work from anywhere. And it was advantageous to us to be within the U.S. just for like easier access and 
I've always wanted to live on an island. Like I literally had it on my dream board and stuff. And so Puerto Rico is kind of like the only place that you can still be a part of the US and, uh, and on an island. And the weather here is unbelievable all year around. And so we moved here and set up our business here before even like coming here to, to visit first. We were just like, we were so quick with it once I heard about uh, like and we just we just made the transition super quickly and uh it, it's probably going to go down as uh the best decision i've ever made in my entire life wow that's awesome and uh <laughs> I, I respect the uh you know decisiveness of just picking up you know packing your bags and moving down there sight unseen that that takes some guts i think and it sounds like it's it's paying dividends uh early on um more into like the day-to-day i see like you know, you're, you're in pretty good shape. You're, you're, you're doing a, you know, a lot, I'm sure spending a lot of your time on your business, but, uh, you must have some kind of like fitness routine as well. I wonder if there's anything there that you can share, uh, sort of day-to-day habits. I also really like the sound of, uh, the night walks you mentioned earlier. Maybe you're not doing those anymore, but with your brother and his friend, it sounds like an interesting, uh, sort of habit that I haven't heard that exact thing, especially at night. Um, pretty interesting so anything sort of interesting from the day-to-day i always like to hear about people's routines and, and things like that yeah the, the brainstorming sessions i'm not doing anymore but oh my god like that that's an extreme takeaway that i could give to literally anybody listening to this is if you have any friends uh in the same trajectory as you in life or like in the same industry as you maybe in the same high school or university classes just to set aside a specific time every single day for me it was like night times when when we were first getting going and brainstorming ideas specifically brainstorming like future ideas future paced ideas of like where you want to get to and like steps like how you can get there and having somebody that is in on a similar wavelength to you to bounce ideas off of is is absolutely massive uh in terms of like now my day-to-day life uh health is a massive part of my life and outside of business health is uh health is like uh practically like number one, uh, in terms of what I do. And I have been working out since uh, grade nine of high school. So I, I started working out before business, which kind of like led me into it. And ever since working out, I, I was lucky that I got addicted to working out where, uh, I'm not sure if anybody else has ever had this, but I, I literally couldn't go even, uh, two days without working out or I'd start feeling extremely small, start feeling horrible. We're like the only thing I could think of and, uh, and not get off my mind is, is going to the gym. And so I just had to do that. And so that, that was actually a gift in my eyes that, uh, that I had that addiction and, uh, it's carried forward to today where I work out like five to six times, uh, uh, a week, between basketball and uh, doing a lot of strength training. And then it's carried forward into my diet because I I train so hard that uh, diet is a large portion of like uh, your physique and how you look on the outside and how you feel on the inside. And so I started spending a lot of time uh, on diet research and things. And it actually came to the point of like, uh, now I've transitioned to being fully vegan with my, with my girlfriend being fully vegan. Uh, my girlfriend has been fully vegan for a while and, uh, I just transitioned recently. And so I'm kind of testing out how it's going to feel with my body for the long term and how it's going to affect my fitness. 
And that, that that's a that's a large portion of uh, what I do in my off time. Nice. Yeah, I think uh, it's certainly uh, I also enjoy like experimenting with various things, whether or not they stick for the long term is another story. But I think uh, there's a lot of people who are just sort of taking different approaches to fitness now nowadays and like health overall. And um, there's some sort of contrarian ideas that I think are are worth experimenting again. They might, you know, everything health, I think is a very personal thing. It might not work for one person the way it works for another, but um, it's, it's cool to experiment. And I, I'm very much, you know, like you focused on like work and, and health and uh, you know, they're, they're two pretty good pillars to, to keep you busy enough. Um, last question for you, before we close out, you, you've started the, uh, the businesses with, with your brothers. You've obviously, it's like, you know, you do do not you were doing those brainstorming walks like with, with your older brother, I think it was um, a lot of sort of collaboration with you guys, not just being brothers, but being partners. It sounds like in a lot of ways, um, curious to hear like sort of the best parts about that. And, and also, you know, some of the challenges that come from like working with family day in, day out. Yeah, for sure, man. So I would say that working with my brothers, the number one thing that comes out of it uh, when working with like your blood siblings is, is trust. And I personally think that trust is the, the hardest thing to find in business partners. Uh, because getting into a business partnership and, uh, and getting into with like, uh, shares of a corporation, you're really going into marriage with people. Uh, it's like a, it's like a business marriage and it's very serious. And we've been through business separations with like, with, with two of our business partners, previous business partners. And it feels like you're literally going through a divorce. It's like the hardest thing ever. And I, I would have never thought that. Uh, and it's crazy hard, like personal stuff gets into it. Uh, and it's way harder than actually a, a divorce because it's on so many other levels of like, uh, of like financial constraints and like what you have to do with like dividing up finances, buying them out. Uh, and then like what that does to your like friendship afterwards. And it's on so many levels. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's the number one thing that I can take away in terms of like the positive note of being in business with your siblings is uh, I grew up with them. Uh, and I didn't mention this at the beginning, but we had like a, we had like a fairly difficult childhood. It was actually like really hard. Uh, it, it was a, it was a rough separation of our parents. And so I, I always had my brothers there, uh, for me and we were always there for each other. And so, uh, growing up with them in that environment and like, uh, creating like resilience together, uh, allowed us to have that trust and like carry that forward into like the business that we're doing now. And we're, we're kind of all on the same page that really like nothing can stop us at this point. And like, we're going to uh, literally take over this industry and take over any industry that we're a part of. And like, we're just on that just like savage mentality. And so uh, that th that's, that's the key pro some cons. I would say the number one con is deciphering business. Like once you're heavy into business, deciphering business from like your personal relationship. For example, I find it hard sometimes to talk to my brothers about 
like personal life and just like personal topics and like how they're doing like actually and like even like on another another level like guys have a hard time with talking about emotions anyway and so so like that level of being hard to talk about emotions and then also being in business where like your emotions just get completely suppressed and like we never talk about emotions anymore like if something's not going well like we just immediately are going to like solution minded and so it can get really hard at times uh, and it has gone really hard, uh, especially when we've gone through like major, major setbacks and like major failures, the transition points, like from the e-commerce e business to the agency and like not knowing when we're going to be making that money back. And, uh, yeah, all those, all those really hard point points are, are even harder when you're doing it with your siblings. And it's like, it's like extreme side of things because they're even harder, like those hard points, but like then the good points. And like when you're succeeding is way even better when you're winning with your, when you're winning with your siblings. And so there's pros and cons to it. I think that being in business with your siblings is like uh, the only way to get started. And uh, it, I, I would suggest that for any single person uh, to get on the same wavelength as their siblings. And if they're going to start up something, start up something with their siblings. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I really appreciate the, uh, you know, you're very candid in the response. And, and I totally agree. Like, you know, trust is something that is very, very hard. You can, you can make money, you can make friends, you can, you know, make business partners and connections and things like that. But it's very hard to like make trust. It just, it takes like a lot of time as an input to get trust as an output, um, no matter who it is. And so obviously you have plenty of time with your brothers and, uh, you know, a lot of building trust over the years to where you don't need to worry about like, you you know, one of your brothers is going to do something that like you didn't see coming or something like that. There's just, you guys know each other too well. And, um, it sounds like the pros, uh, are, are worthwhile, you know, despite the challenges that come along with it. It's, it's a, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I sort of, I look at people who start businesses with, with their siblings and, there definitely, there, there usually seems to be like sort of an extra edge there where, um, you know, you're motivated because, because you're working with family among other things. So, um, anyway, had, had a great time sort of, uh, talking with you about all sorts of stuff over the last hour, but, uh, really appreciate you, you coming on and, and sharing your perspective and telling your story. And I'm bullish on, on you and, and I'm bullish on you and your brothers and what you're doing with your business. I think it's going to be a, a really exciting future ahead and hopefully you guys, uh, you know, are, are able to enjoy some time in, in Puerto Rico while you're doing it. Um, where can people go and, and follow you and, and your journey, uh, social media or otherwise for, uh, for those who want to keep on and, and follow along? Dude, I appreciate it, Tom, for having me on. Uh, and if anybody wants to uh, follow along to, to the journey, you can reach me on Instagram at Luke Lintz. That's L-U-K-E and the last name L-I-N-T-Z. Uh, or if you want want more like uh, crypto, uh, NFT, Web 3.0 topics, uh, we start back up our podcast called the High Key Crypto Podcast. And so you can search that up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any of those. But yeah, those, those would probably be the best places. Mm -hmm.